Amen, big church. Welcome to Freedom Day. Hallelujah. I'm already wrecked. Spirit's already wrecked me. I don't think that's fair when I have to preach. Welcome to the 4th of July weekend. Welcome to not only freedom in America, but freedom in this church, freedom in your life. Hallelujah. Thank you very much, Jesus. My computer would come on. That'd be great. Uh, there we go. Hold on just a second. It's very smooth. Hold on. It was because of the extra song. See, I had this all timed out. <laughs> Everything was fine. The screen would stay up, but no. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, we're gonna, I want everybody to stand up for me, please. It might have been a very long time since you've done this, but we are going to say the Pledge of Allegiance this morning. So put your hand over your heart and join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for America. Liberty and justice for all, those are such sweet, beautiful words that we need to celebrate. I mean, that's for everybody, not just individuals, but liberty and justice for all is for everybody. Let's say a quick word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to share the word of God that you've placed on my heart. It is my testimony. It is my life. Lord, may it be shared in a way that they could accept it uh, to get the word that you want to bring to them today, to get the freedom that you want to bring today. Lord, we love you. We ask your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. What well, was... October 1980-something, and I was working in a small radio station in South Florida. It was a country radio station. Can anyone say Hank Williams? That's what I was playing. Uh, I had long hair, stonewashed jeans. I had a braid behind my left ear. I dyed it blonde, and I'd put stuff in it, like feathers. I rode a street bike, a Virago. Anyone know a Virago street bike? Anyway, it was a very fast bike. I would go to zero to 80 in four seconds. Love this bike. I was a little too much for this little country town. <laughs> I, uh, I bought a pair of cowboy boots. I thought that'd make it feel better, but no, that didn't. It didn't make him feel any better at all about me. I was working the night shift playing stuff like Hank Williams. And uh, I was really enjoying myself, kind of freaking this little town out. And I'd have to drive 40 miles one way on a wilderness country road. And we would see all sorts of things. Sherry sometimes would go with me. And uh, we would see all sorts of things. Alligators, red fox. I hit a boar once. Uh, bald eagles. You name it. It was on this road. I'd come home in the middle of the night because my shift was a night shift. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. There was a moon in the sky. 
I may have been going a little faster than I should have. I was doing everything right for the bike riders in the crowd. I was in the left wheel rut, Bruce. You know, that's where you need to be. Uh, then I saw movement on the road. And if there's one thing you don't want to see when you're riding a bike is movement on the road. And as I got closer, I realized it wasn't just one cow. It wasn't two cows. It was a whole herd of cows on the road. I was going much too fast to make a uh, good decision. I had just enough time to choose which cow I was going to hit. So I chose the one next to the one with the really big horns. I hit that one, and I flew over the entire herd. I can still see them doing this, you know, as you go over. Now I don't have a bike, so that's not good. I land on my head, thank God for a full-coverage helmet, right on my face. My legs come over. I'm tumbling now. My legs pick me up, hit the pavement. I hit another cow right in the stomachs. They have more than one. <laughs> I've, I've learned a lot about cows since then. <laughs> I, I heard his little hoofs scrape off the pavement. It's amazing what you remember about accidents, but I remember the little scrape. And we both landed in a heap right next to each other. And he looks at me and goes, moo. Like, what just happened? Here I was. I was eating my grass, and, and then, boom, here I am next to the road next with you. So at the time, I was struggling with thoughts of suicide, and I thought, okay, well, maybe this is my out. Let's just sit here for a minute. And I laid there. Well, nothing's happening. <laughs> I, I guess I better try and get up. No one's going to run me over, I guess. Uh, I, my lungs had collapsed. I had internal bleeding. I was in shock. I thought my legs were broken. My left arm was like a ribbon. I didn't have any motion over it. But as I, as I started rocking back and forth, the wind started coming back into my lungs, and I realized oh, this wasn't my day. <laughs> I'm going to have to live through this. Uh, so I, I get up, and I start walking like this for about a half a mile, and I'm moaning as I do it, right? I'm going, oh, and the cows would answer me. <laughs> I'd go, oh, moo, 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 like, like they're all talking about it. You know, I was like, did you just see what happened? Anyway, I finally made it to the hospital. I spent the next four days in the hospital. Now, why am I telling you this story? The next day, I was supposed to get on an airplane, fly to my best friend's home state in Georgia, and we were going to go bow hunting. Any bow hunters in the house? A few? We loved it. And uh, he went on the trip. He was disappointed I wasn't with him, but he, he went on the trip. He went up to his stand. He saw a deer. He took a shot. And as he took a shot, the arrow hit a sapling and diverted and hit chest high in the tree stand that he was going to put me in. I, I didn't guess that, I, that that was going to hit me. I knew that was going to hit me when he told me that story. And this message is about freedom. And the reason why I'm telling you that story is not everything bad that happens to you 
is ultimately for your destruction. Something's up, something bad will happen to you, and it's for your ultimate life. The Lord spared my life by breaking my arm and hitting a cow so that I might live long enough to experience what full freedom was. I had given my heart to Jesus, but I wasn't living in the freedom that he had called me to live in. He knew that years down the road, the next year, Amy came into the world. Give it up for Amy. <laughs> he knew that years down the road, I was going to live in freedom and levels of freedom. I believe you have levels that you can get to and problems that you can solve and your faith increases and moment by moment. Day by day, your experience grows deeper and greater and better, so you don't have to settle for where you're at right now. We're talking about, believe it or not, uh, there is a point to this message. Uh, we're talking about one of the pillars of the mission of Big Church. How many of you know the mission of Big Church? Shout it out. Okay, well, you're the pastor, so... <laughs> <laughs> you cheated. <laughs> Love Louisville back to life. Pastor Rich last week talked about no God. This week we're talking about finding freedom. Next week we're going to talk about discover your purpose. And finally wrapping it up with make a difference. This is a real easy sermon for me to preach in one way. I know what to preach. It's harder to preach it. But Jesus is my freedom. That is a big message. How do you start to wrap your, round, your mind around how big Jesus is in your life? He'll save you from death, hell, sin, disease. He'll put whatever you want in, the, in that blank, in that sentence. Jesus is going to save you from it. I want to start today in Isaiah 53, verse 3. He has despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low self-esteem. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by men, and afflicted. Here's the good part. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're talking about how Jesus can be your everything, your freedom, and every point of life. In Psalm 116, this is a wonderful psalm. This psalm was written in gratitude for the Lord saving someone from death. This is my psalm. <laughs> he saved me from death and more on one occasion. And I love the first verse because it's simple. And I need simple. It simply says, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. That psalm is for me. Later on in that psalm, it says, you have freed me from my chains. Has anyone ever been in a time in their life when they wanted to give up and yet they stayed? You hung in there. Have you ever been in my position? I know you have. In Psalm 107, verse 14, he says, He brought them out of darkness, utter darkness, and broke away their chains. I like how that scripture 
kind of defined it for us. Not just darkness, but utter darkness. Have you ever looked in that part of your life that's the utter darkness? You kind of avoid it. You kind of pretend it's not there. But once you look into that utter darkness, you start to realize your need for Jesus. You start to realize this is a little bit bigger than I am. This darkness, this pain's too much. Now, pain is a natural part of life. That's how we learn. A toddler uh, starts to walk, falls down. Ouch, that didn't work. Uh, so he tries something new. Don't touch this hot plate. Okay, I'll believe the uh, server next time when he comes and brings me my Mexican food, and I won't burn my fingers. <laughs> pain is a natural part of life, but too much pain can drive us to a place where God never intended us to be. A fallen world will cause people to make bad decisions that will affect your life. And we have to live with the effects of those bad decisions. Babies, whenever... I used to work in uh, human uh, services and with people with disabilities. And so you'd start to hear stories about when you're helping people, what they're going through, and it starts at an early age. And you'd hear stories about children being neglected in the crib. And there's something very interesting that goes on, sad, that a baby will cry for so long because they have a need. They have a need that's going unanswered and so they cry. The sad part is, is when they stop crying. They have already started losing hope that their cry is going to be answered. They start to self-numb by detaching, and often that's created a situation known as reactive attachment disorder. And our, our kids that are in foster care, they have to fight that. They have to battle that, jumping from home to home, it's hard for them to attach anyone. It goes all the way into their adult life, and they have to find ways to cope, to deal, and, and that's a real thing. Sometimes when you start to feel again, you start to realize how deep the damage was. When you see the scar in your life, you, you start to feel a little bit. That's when you realize, I need Jesus now. When I was in high school, I had a wonderful experience. The Lord called me into the ministry. Believe it or not, I was in a musical. I can't sing, uh, but I was in a musical. And I was the star of the show. It's called The Clown. <laughs> they typecast that. Uh, through that production, uh, the Lord called me into the ministry. I went to Southeastern Bible College in Lakeland, Florida, and everything was good. I was at the right place. I was at the right time. My hair was short, for those of you who are keeping count. Uh, it's wearing the right clothes. You got to wear the right clothes at Bible school. You know, you have to stay six feet away from a girl at all times. That's the first instance of social distancing right there. I, can you believe that? A year later... How many of you know that you can backslide in Bible school as well as you can backslide anywhere else? I get a witness. 
My Lord, have mercy. Uh, I couldn't recognize myself. Um, I, I didn't have any joy, didn't have any peace. I wasn't trusting Jesus. I was doing what I want. I was away from home for the first time. I wasn't having my mom and dad on my face all the time telling me, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, there's a good side to that because you don't, <laughs> you don't backslide. Uh, that's one thing that happens. Uh, anyway, uh, so I felt my hope starting to drain away. You can have victory and then find yourself over time, you lose that hope. And I was talking to a friend of mine about a song called, It's So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. She was a singer, and she sang that song. And through clenched teeth and snarled lips and hate in my heart, I said, it's not sweet to trust in Jesus. It's torture. That's because I had one foot in the world and I had one foot in the church or in my relationship with Jesus. I was not fully committed. And when you're not fully committed, you get torn in two. You get split right down the middle. That's why it's torture. Thankfully, the Lord did not allow me to stay in that position for very long. He brought me in. He saved me again. It's, how many of you need to be saved again? You wake up one day and go, man, I need Jesus in my life today. All right, here's the first tool I want to give you right now. I want everyone to close your eyes, and I want you to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Save me. Say it again. Jesus, I'm yours. Save me. Now, did you feel something? Did you feel a release? Did you feel his peace? Whenever you're in a moment, regardless of how long you've been walking with Jesus, and you're against the wall, and you don't know what else to do, you've prayed all the prayers, you've read all the scriptures, if you shut your eyes and say, Jesus, I'm yours, save me. And he'll do it, just like he saved Peter. 20 years ago, I wrote a book called Caught Between Heaven and Hell. Don't look for it on Amazon, it's not there. <laughs> it's never published. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Uh, it was talking about my recovery years. And once again, 20 years later, I found myself angry, fearful, bitter, caught in that same cycle. Man, do we have to keep going through the same problems? Do we have to? I mean, can't we find a way around this? I found myself in the same ditch. And then the Lord did something amazing for me. This was another level of freedom. He led me to fast and pray. I believe in fasting and praying. I believe that it tears down walls. I believe that if you have been on a hiatus, mediocre, fasting and prayer will get you through that, uh, will bring you deeper, closer, and you can fight for others. So he, he uh, led me into fasting for three weeks, which I, which I did. And at the end of that three weeks, I was praying, and I felt a release. This presence that had been with me, this spirit of despair that I had lived with so long, I didn't know what normal felt like, it lifted. And I felt it because I had never felt that before. This spirit of despair had been just following me around, and it was gone. And I was relieved, but I didn't know what to do. I was used to the chains. 
I got used to walking like this when I should have been walking like this, full of freedom. Yes, I, I can walk like this. And then I asked the Lord, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> like that wasn't enough, right? He said, live free. Live free. And that was my first hint of what freedom was like in a deeper way. Crystal Lewis this is a, oh, I'm going, I'm dating myself. Had a beautiful song, and it's my favorite song. And it's called Beauty to Ashes. Has anyone ever heard that song, Beauty for Ashes? It reflects uh, the scripture in Isaiah chapter 61. And she says, he'll give you strength for fear, gladness for mourning, peace for despair. He'll give you strength for fear. Gladness for mourning, peace for despair. I had been living in fear, mourning, and despair. He flipped the script and gave me strength, gladness, and peace. Later in Isaiah 61.3, the last part of that verse, it said, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I really relate to that scripture because I, I like to garden. I'm not always successful. How many of you have a green thumb? You like to garden. You don't have to tell us if you don't have a green thumb. We already know who you are. There's a trail of house plants that are dead house plants that reach to the curb. What happened? We have plenty of opportunity here at Big Church to bring plants back to life. There are three plants right now in the servant's room going, I can't breathe. I have no water. Please, someone help me. I have not seen the sun in three weeks. <laughs> I just uh, I feel sorry for him. But whenever you bring a plant back to life, you know you have a sense of accomplishment when you see life being poured back into that plant. You've given sunlight. You've given rain. Uh, you've trimmed away what needs to be trimmed, and you see that life doing, or that plant doing well, you have a sense of satisfaction. That's exactly the way the Lord feels about us. He just wants the opportunity to pour life back into us. Now, we have a choice to make. Once we have looked into the utter darkness, and we have seen our chains, and we have looked into the face of Jesus, and we have seen freedom, we have to make the choice, am I going to accept that freedom? Or am I going to continue in this way because the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know and just keep trying something that's not working? Or am I going to get over my fear, risk, and try something new? It's called faith, and I'm going to trust Jesus. It comes down to the same kind of attitude we have towards change. Now, I know I've stopped preaching and started meddling, but what is our attitude towards change? What keeps us from change? Well, the unknown is a big one. I don't know what's going to happen if I do this. The unknown is a big one. Ego, uh-oh. I don't need to point anybody out right now, so I'll look over here. Uh, <laughs> Just teasing. Uh, our ego gets in the way. And you start to deal with that question, who's in control? Who's in charge? I want to be in charge. Maybe risk feels like danger to you because the last time you risked, it didn't turn out so well. 
Every time you have a little bit of unknown, it freaks you up because you have to be in control because of what happened to you in the past. Jesus wants you to lay that down and let him be in control because there is a spiritual battle not only for our souls but for our freedom that we live in. Satan might concede your salvation, but he does not want to see you happy. He does not want to see you full of the Holy Spirit. He does not want to see you telling other people about Jesus. He does not want to see you share in your faith. He wants you depressed, worried, full of doubt and fear. This is our time to let it go. This is freedom day for us. Once you have said yes, 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 and no, no, no. Remember that song? Amy Winehouse? Okay, never mind. It's about going to rehab, anyway. <laughs> Once you say yes and accept God's freedom, you have to protect it. Because once you have been free, you can neglect it and it it erodes. There's a song from Casting Crowds called Slow Fade. And some of the lyrics are, be careful little ears what you hear. When flattering leads to compromise, the end is always near. When black and white have turned to gray, the thoughts invade, choices made, a price will be paid. And that's where Satan wants to get you. He knows that he will lose every time he comes face to face with Jesus. So he wants to get you in a gray area. That's exactly what the serpent said to Eve in the garden. Did he really say that? Is that really what he meant? That is still being played out in our lives today. When the Lord has spoken truth to us, Satan will come well, is that really what he meant? Is that really truth? And he wants to put you in a gray area, and that's the first step of you turning away. Your heart, that freedom, is a precious gift, and you have to tend it like a garden. Whenever you see weeds in the garden, you have to pull them. What happens to weeds when you let them grow? They grow. They not only grow, they take over your garden. So you have to be diligent about pulling up every weed. Pastor Rich mentioned dandelions uh, last week. Any dandelion haters in the crowd? There you go. Their roots go deep. And if you just cut off the top, guess what happens tomorrow? They're back. Just one day, you have to go deep. Don't let that root remain. That root of bitterness, Satan will use it against you. Forgiveness is one of the best ways I know of to tending my heart. Forgiveness. Uh, My father-in-law, he's a great man. He's not a man of many words. He's a man of powerful action. Just by the way he lives his life has affected my life. Even though he doesn't always like me. (laughs) And I've actively tried to annoy him sometimes. The way he has lived his life has affected me. And his rule is, and now my rule is, forgive everybody, every time, every day. I relied on that rule of his (laughs) frequently. Because I remember being annoying to him. And the next day, I expected him to come back being all annoyed so I could build on it. And it's like, 
No. He's all full of love and forgiveness. How did that happen? I wasn't always, you know, all right. So anyway, uh, this freedom we have is precious, and I have strayed away from his will by letting greed, by letting proud, and the big one for me was selfish ambition. Uh, whenever you're in radio, selfish ambition just seems like a good idea. We called it shameless self-promoting, but it's selfish ambition. And the word says not to do anything out of selfish ambition. That means putting yourself on the side and letting Jesus Christ be exalted in your life. There's nothing wrong with being good at marketing, being good at, at whatever you do, but let Jesus take the, take the main stage in your life. Well, I'm going to close with this illustration. Your freedom is worth fighting for. And this is a picture of my dad in World War II, 1945. There he is. Third from the top, third from the left. You can't see him, but I know what sailor's hat is my dad. After, uh, I brought it with me today if you want to look at it. Uh, after the war, he named me after a cousin of his who died at sea, Jack Hale Fussell. Now, my legal name is John. That's only because my mom and dad had a fight, and I ended up being called John. And they fought my entire life about what to call me. Uh, so they called me Jack, named me John. It led to a lot of interesting uh, conversations. Uh, but here's a picture of Jack Hale Fussell and Donald Fussell. And that's who I was named after. Uh, they were stationed on the USS Houston. It was a light cruiser. This was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's favorite ship. Roosevelt's favorite ship. Uh, he used it for touring the fleet. He did a world tour in 1939. And he would later say of these men, they were my friends. On December 7, 1941, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor... These men on the USS Houston were cruising uh, just northwest of Australia in those waters in the Java Sea. Three months later, almost to the day, every man on that ship was killed or captured on February 27, 1942. And of the 1,100 men on that ship, only 368 survived the war. The survivors were taken prisoner to the Philippines. Bobby, if we could show the map. You'll see that uh, Japan is up in the north, and as you come down, you see the Philippines, and then Borneo below that. And just below that, if you can make it out, is a little star, and that's where the ship sunk. And the survivors were then transported back up to the Philippines... And from January 1948 to April 1942 to April 1942, they went on the Batan Death March. And for those of my generation, we know that march. Uh, that's because 75,000 sailors and Filipinos walked through the heat of the jungle 65 miles to prison camps. Thousands died on that road. It's considered a war crime. The shipmates who later uh, survived the war and got together called my cousins and other men who went down with the ship the lucky ones because they didn't spend the next three years in a prison camp. But they remember fondly the USS Houston. 
because she was the last ship to go down. It was a huge naval battle. She was the last ship to go down, and as she was going down, her colors were never struck. They never lowered the flag, and her guns kept firing. They never gave up, and that is the message from the USS Houston in our lives. Never give up. Never give up. When you have felt the desire or at least the temptation to stop trying because you've been fighting this war for so long and you just, if you just give up and put your hands down and strike your colors, then the momentum of the sea will pull you down and you'll just give up. Is there anyone here like that now? And that's where I've been time and again, where I could give up, but Jesus didn't allow me to give up. He threw me a lifeline, and he's throwing you a lifeline right now. If everyone would stand up with me, I want to make this as easy as possible as I can. Our prayer team, if you'll come. We're here for each other. We're not here just to meet an hour. We're here for each other, to fight for each other. These prayer warriors can get in the battle with you and fight your battle. Don't give up. If, if you're feeling that right now, come and join us. We want you to share, let us share in your battle. Don't give up. Allow Jesus to be your answer, to be your life. We want to pour life back into you. And as you get out, know that there'll be somebody here waiting for you. If not, that's fine. You can stay where you're at. But I want you to feel the heart of Jesus. Because when Jesus saved me, I was again able to sing those song, that song and mean every word. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust thee, how I've proved thee more and more. That song means so much to me now that I can't stop crying when I think of how he saved me. And he has that freedom for you today. Lift your hand if you feel that. If you feel that and you want to join me in this prayer, go ahead and do that. And I'm going to pray for you right now, Jesus. Touch, heal, save, deliver. Be with those who are in the throes of of wanting to give up because the fight's too hard, the fight's too long, but we, we have to turn our eyes to you because you're bigger than any problem. You're bigger than, than anything that we've faced. You are the answer to it. You are our answer. We give our lives to you. Pour life into them right now, Jesus. Pour life into them. If this is the first time they've ever considered doing that and you want to give your heart to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three, and make that commitment. Jesus, I want to give my heart to you. Jesus, I want to give up and let you fight the battle. Jesus, come in and save me. Jesus, I'm yours now. Save me. If you prayed that prayer, we want to connect with you. Please fill out that card in the back seat so that we can give you practical steps on how to walk out your faith with Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you.
We give you this day. We give you this hour. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for our freedom. In Jesus' name.